Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And so, living grace, uh, I had a conversation with a, um, uh, with a young lady. You know, when you get to be in your 50s, you know, you could be 30 and be a young lady, right? You know, so I don't know how old she was, but she's a young lady. And uh, we're having this conversation uh, about, about lawnmowers and stuff because I got to get my lawnmower fixed and it's just crazy. And uh, so anyway, we're having this conversation and, and, and uh, I figured, well, you know, if you want to talk to me for 15 minutes about lawnmowers, maybe I ought to ask you where you are with the Lord. And so I sort of brought up the question of faith and church and God. You know what she said, living grace? She said, you know what, I don't, she goes, I, grew, I sort of grew up in church, but I don't go to church. I said, why not? She goes, because when I go, I get judged. I said, really? She goes, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't go to church because when I go, people judge me. I went, wow. And she goes, some Christians are so judgmental. And she was at least nice enough to say, not all Christians, but some Christians are so judgmental. And it made me think, you know what? Do we really want lost people here? Uh, and, and, and the question is, really? I mean, do we really want people here with all their junk and all their mess and all their lostness and people who have no relationship with Christ whatsoever and, and people who may have used his name in vain on the way here? Do we, do we, really, want, do we really want people here who, 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 who there might be some curse word that comes out of their mouth or there might be some sort of thing that comes in with them, we go, man, they might look some kind. Do we really want that here? And, 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 and what she said was that she doesn't go to church because she feels judged. And I thought, and then I asked her, I said, well, if you were to die tonight, do you think you would go to heaven or hell? She goes, no, I'd go to hell. And I thought, wow. Now, whether she believes in hell or not, I'm not sure. And I had, we had a good conversation about Jesus and about love and about faith. And so, who knows? But I don't know if she believes in hell. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure that she would believe in the devil. I didn't ask that question. But I said, would you believe in a, a character called the devil? She might say she does. But I think a lot of people don't believe in the devil. I think a lot of people think, you know, the devil is a mythological character. The devil was, was created by religious people to control people. There is no hell and there is no devil. And I think if there is no devil and there is no hell, but if there is no devil, then how do we explain what goes on in our world? I mean, the things, you know, you just pick up a newspaper on any given day, watch the news, and the stuff that happens is... It's almost on a daily basis. It's shocking stuff. And, and, and so how do you explain all that? Because every worldview, no matter what you view about the cosmos and creation and the war, every worldview must explain evil. Okay, now the naturalist who believes only the physical world exists. Now there's no meaning behind evil. There's really no baseline for that. For the naturalist, evil is just bad luck. And there's no, there's no purpose behind it. It's all random. That's what they would say. The transcendentalist, transcendentalism would say the physical world and everything in it is just an illusion. Thus, evil and suffering are illusions um, 
uh, and really probably the result of karma. So if there's something that's bad happening to you, there's some universal force out there called karma that's paying you back for something you did, either in this life or a former life, which would really be messed up, right? I mean, because we're so messed up, like, like if that was really true, we would never get out of this thing. I mean, like, like you know, I, I mean, I'd probably come back as like a roach or something, you know? It's like, man, this is not looking good. I was a human in my last life, and now I'm like a roach, man. This is not, this is going down, I don't know, right? I mean, because that's how we are, right? I mean, you're kidding yourself if you think you can work yourself up to some kind of good karma thingy. I don't know. And then the, the theistic worldviews, which is what we believe, is that the, both the natural and the supernatural exist. There are things that are seen, and we also believe in things that are unseen. And so the theist argues that God has allowed evil for some purpose that's beyond our understanding right now. But there is, in the end, a purpose in it, and in the end, everything will be balanced correctly. And so we, as theists, believe that evil is a result of sin. That's missing the mark, which we are all sinners. You know, and I think when you tell someone who's a non-believer that you're a sinner just like them, it sort of takes them and makes them think, okay, I thought it was just me. <laughs> or I thought all you Christians thought you were way better than everyone else, and we're sure not. So sin, evil is a result of sin and selfishness and Satan. And so Ezekiel 28.15 says this, speaking of Satan, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created and un until unrighteousness was found in you. Satan, a created being, rebelled against God because of his own selfishness or pride, the original sin. And so if there's no devil, then where's all this evil? What's influencing all this evil? If there's no hell and there's no devil, what that means is as humans, we're really, really bad. We're, we're real bad, Okay. D.L. Moody once said that he believed in the devil for two reasons. One, because the Bible said so, and secondly, because he did a lot of business with him in the past. <laughs> uh, well, there's a battle that's raging. There's a battle that's going on. There's a war that's happening. And it started in heaven, and it's made its way on the earth. And it's been going on for thousands of years. There's an invisible war that's happening and sometimes it manifests itself on a visible plane. The book of Job, if you've ever read that, gives us some insight into that. You remember how Satan goes into heaven with the sons of, the, sons of God, the angels, and he sort of presents himself to God, probably because he has to, and he has this conversation with God about Job, and as a result of that, Job goes through all kinds of very, very difficult um, uh, uh, situations, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Daniel, if you remember in the book of Daniel, Daniel prays, and for 21 days he doesn't get an answer, uh, yet the angel comes to him and says, from the time that you began your prayers, God heard you, but because of this angelic warfare that was going on, it was delayed 21 days. So there's something happening in the unseen uh, that manifested itself in that which was seen. Okay, And so the rest of chapter 12 in, in Revelation can, is split into two different halves. There's a war in heaven, verse 7 through 9, um, uh, uh, and there's wrath on the earth. 
there's a war in heaven, and then there's a wrath on earth. And the message this morning is entitled, What Satan Doesn't Want You to Know. <laughs> what Satan Doesn't Want You to Know. All right? So the war on earth, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9 says this, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down uh, with him. Okay, war in heaven. Uh, sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Not the typical picture that you get of heaven because you think of heaven as this, you know, as we've seen in Revelation, not really a tranquil place, but a place of the abode of God, the 24 elders, uh, the Lamb of God in the center of the throne, the peals of thunder and lightning and earth, this powerful place and where the God abides. And you don't really think about this in the context of a battle going on in heaven. Here's one point I want you to know. Satan still has access to heaven. He has access to heaven and may very well have to report to heaven on a regular basis. I don't know that to be true, but in the book of Job, he presents himself before God and probably because he has to. Or there's another reason that we'll get to. But the point is this, Satan is not in hell. Have you ever heard anyone say, oh man, you know what, when I get to hell, I'm going to be partying with Satan. Okay, newsflash, dude, Satan right now is not in hell. He doesn't end up in hell until later on in the book of Revelation. And here's another thing, Satan won't be in charge in hell. You ever heard the, well, you know, I mean, the, Satan's going to be in charge. It's going to be great. No, no, no. Satan is not in charge in hell. He is cast into hell, and it's a place of great, great torment. And you could say that God is still in charge even in hell. That, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. And so we read here about Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon who was Satan. And there are those who would say, well, see, that's really... Uh, Jesus. It's not Michael, the archangel, the angel. Um, well, and they say that because Michael's name means one like God. And we know that, God, that Jesus is not like God, although he does have that. He is God. And Michael in Jude chapter 9 is called the archangel, which means leader or prince among the angels. And they say, see, Jesus is the leader of the angels. And if someone comes to your door and they, uh, they have on a, a tie and typically a short sleeve shirt and a sleeve and they have usually a, a wife with them and a couple of children and they have a briefcase, they always have a briefcase, and they're handing you some materials from the Watchtower Society, you can just ask them right away, do you believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel? And they will go, well, let's just get right into it here then, shall we? And they'll say yes, and then you tell them to read Daniel chapter 10 verse 13. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13 says that Michael is one of the chief princes in heaven. One of. And so then if, if Jesus is just one of many, then he's not unique. He's not unique. Okay? Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. Well, here's another thing that Satan doesn't want you to know. Satan would have us believe that he's equal to God. He has said that he would make himself like the Most High God. It makes sense. You have Good, that's God, 
and then you have evil, well, that's Satan. But I want you to know, and, and, and you know, God and Satan, Jesus and Satan are not opposites. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all at the same time. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's not any of the other omnis that there are either. He's a created being just like Michael, the angel, is. And so we read in, Gen- in, in Revelation, there's this battle that takes place. And this would not be the first time that Michael and Satan have this uh, tussle or this fight, a previous scene of conflict between Michael and Satan is in Jude chapter 9 where there was a dispute over the body of Moses and it said not even Michael would throw a hurling accusation at him. All right? Um, Here's another occasion where Satan is trying to stop what God is trying to do and there's, he he literally, it almost sounds like he's trying to overthrow, uh, storm the gates uh, of, of, of heaven. The battle occurs at, this battle occurs at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period described in Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 says this, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never and since the, uh, there was a nation even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, referenced here in Revelation uh, chapter 12. And it says this, they are not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So this is like, this is like the last offensive front and it's like Satan and his demonic realm are just going to try to storm the gates of heaven and like try to overthrow God in heaven. I mean, it's like, okay, man, really? You're going to try to like, what are you going to do? You're going to like march your way to the throne and tell God to get off? I mean, I don't know, but this is, it. This is what he does. Because, you know, maybe he believes all the press clippings that, that people say about Maybe he believes his own press clipping. I don't know. Maybe he makes them up. All right? Um, but it says that, that there's no longer a place found for them. So it turns out that the heavenly host or angelic realm is stronger than the demonic realm. There's no place for them. Now, until this happens, Satan has access to heaven where he accuses God's people. Okay, verse 9, Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven. Check it out. And the great dragon was thrown down, verse 9, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan and deceives the whole world and was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This verse uses many different titles for Satan. He's called the great dragon. Now he disguises himself even as an angel of light but there, it's like he reveals his true character, and it's that of a dragon. He's called the serpent of old, which has to do with cunning. Uh, he is the devil, and one Greek expositor, Walford, on the devil said, the title devil is from the Greek diabolos, from the verb diabolo, um, which has the meaning of defaming or slandering. So he is the devil, a slanderer. He is Satan, which means our adversary. And then it's he who deceives the whole world. And so these descriptions describe Satan as a powerful accuser and a deceiver. He is called the accuser of the brethren, and he is the master accuser of you people and me. 
The devil is our enemy. And he absolutely hates you. Absolutely. He hates you and he hates everything that you stand for just as he hates Jesus. He hates anything that has to do with Christ. He hates you. Are you glad you came this morning? Are, are, you, are you glad? All right, good. All right. Spurgeon said this, there's something comforting in the thought that the devil is an adversary. I would sooner have him for an adversary than a friend. Oh, my soul, it were dread work for you if Satan were a friend of yours, for then with him you must forever dwell in darkness, shut out from the friendship of God. Good point. So if you're going to have any relationship with Satan, and you know what? Everyone has a relationship with him. Make sure that you're his enemy, not his friend. Can you say amen? amen. Now, at one time, you might have been his friend. And some of you chose to be his friend. Others didn't quite know it, like me. I didn't know I was his friend. I'm not a friend of the devil. I don't even know the devil. I'll be sure I act like him sometimes. What? You know, all self-righteous. I ain't that bad. Hmm. Friend or foam? Satan deceives the whole world. <laughs> I mean, is this guy good or what? He deceives the whole world. No matter how old you are, he's going to try to deceive you. Doesn't matter how young you are, he's going to try to deceive you. It's what he does. He's a deceiver. How does he do that? Mostly, he's a liar. He's an absolute liar. What does he lie about? He lies about God. He lies about you. He lies about others. He lies about reality. He lies about everything. He lies about how everything was created. Oh, no, it wasn't God. It all happened by random chance plus time. You know, in billions of years, anything could happen. He, he's a liar. Everything. It's his native language. Even when Satan tells the truth, he lies. Now, have you, I hope you haven't met someone like that. Oh, wait a minute now. Don't be looking around. But, you know, they're, they're just people you just can't trust, right? I was talking to a, to, a, to a buddy of mine. He was talking about his daughter. His daughter's going through a rough time. She's struggling with drugs big time. I mean, it's a hard thing. And he can't believe anything she says, like nothing. Because he finds out everything she says is a lie. Now, she's believing a lie, and therefore she's lying. When we lie, we speak Satan's language. We speak like him when we lie. <laughs> How does he lie when he tells the truth? False religions. Another gospel. Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. All roads lead to God. doesn't matter what you believe. And people like that because it's non-threatening and because it doesn't offend anyone. And it makes everybody happy. The only problem is there's no other part of our life that we live like that. You go in to get a suit, gentlemen, and the guy says, may I help you? He says, I like a suit. What kind would you like? I don't care. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. Well, what size would you like? It doesn't matter. A suit's a suit. Anything. I don't care. 44 long, uh, uh, 55 extra long. Don't matter. Just give me a suit. 
You just can't have any old suit. Don't you want one that fits? No, just give me a suit. They're all the same. If I walked into a store and said that, it'd be like, dude, you might as well walk right on out of here. It's crazy, right? They're all the same. It doesn't matter if they contradict. Just pick one. And if not, just believe that you're a God. And better yet, make up your own way to salvation. Hey, define for yourself what's true. Why would you believe in a God that's so constricting and constraining? And really, God's not even letting you have any fun. Satan's a liar. Young people, do you hear me? He's a liar. Don't believe all the hype that you hear that has its basis from someone who's a liar. Well, this will make you happy. If it goes against what this says, I promise you, it won't make you happy. Do you know why? Because it's a lie. <laughs> and here's the thing. Satan doesn't come at you and say, all right, check it out. I'm really going to lie to you now. Okay, this is a lie. Here it is. And you go, man, you've just told me you're going to lie to me. Why would I believe you? Well, if we know it's your character, why would we believe you anyway, even if you don't tell us it's a lie? He's a liar. <laughs> and he lies about everything. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news and don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, but I, but I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So not only does Satan disguise himself, so do his people and his servants. They disguise themselves. First John says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And the word for lies under the sway, lie, used of a ship that would lie in a sandbar. What does that mean? It's stuck. You could put it this way. We know that we are of God and the whole world is stuck under the sway of the wicked one. So his angels are thrown down to earth with him. All of them. How many are there? We don't know. We can assume, based on what we've read in Revelation, that a third of the angels uh, uh, revolted with Satan. That's crazy, but they did. And a third of them uh, are following him. That means two-thirds haven't, which means there are more that remain faithful to God than those that didn't. So faithful angels outnumber evil angels two to one. Amen? All right, fellas, if you're in here, we just want to thank you for that. We just, thank you. I don't think angels want applause, but if you're in here, we give you props. Thank you. All right, verse 10 through 12 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, of his Christ have come. And for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay, just a little bit on this. Satan is the master accuser of the people of God. Oh, you, he not only accuses you before God, but he accuses you. Oh, you call yourself a Christian? Really? You're going to go to God now and you're going to pray? Are you really going to go to church after what you did? Oh, if those people knew who you really were, they would not even let you in the doors. Or maybe you've heard this. Oh, if I went into your church, man, I'll tell you what, the roof would probably collapse. Someone said that to me. I said, brother, I assure you, there are people in our church worse than you. Now, come on. (laughs) 
Here's something that Satan does not want you to know. First he comes and he tempts you. Go ahead. Take a little. No one's going to know. Everyone's doing it. Nothing will happen. Come on. I mean, really. What could possibly go wrong? And then you do. You go, you know what? No one's going to know. What could possibly go wrong? I'll just do it one time. And then you do it. And then he accuses you. He's like the ultimate hypocrite. He like drives you and tempts you and influences you to do something. And the minute you do, he's accusing you. Oh, how could you? You're not a Christian. You know, Christians don't do stuff like that. You're going to go, you can't go back to, you know, and we think, oh man, I'm, I'm, how could I do that? I'm not a Christian. Christians don't do stuff like that. I might as well forget about going to church. Oh, if people only, see, he drives you and tempts you. And then when you fall, he accuses, he's the ultimate hypocrite. And we can't blame him. And I think also on that note, sometimes he gets blamed for stuff he didn't even do. We do things because our flesh, because we're like that, we're human, we step into minutia, and then we go, oh, the devil made me do it. And something, the devil was like, wait a minute, man, I had nothing to do, you did that all on your own, okay? <laughs> right? Are you blaming the devil for everything? Oh, I got this. No, you don't, brother. You need some accountability in your life. I tell you what, man, I, no, 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 you need to stop going over there. I can't help it. Oh, you mean to tell me your car just automatically drives over there every time? Instead of going right, it goes left? Don't blame the demons on your car going into that neighborhood you shouldn't be at or whatever it is. All right. He doesn't want you to know that he's going to tempt you, then he's going to accuse you. And then that accusation will drive us to condemnation. Satan's accusations drive us to condemnation to guilt, to shame. And he uses our sin to keep us from God and to keep us from fellowship. So often someone disappears from church, they disappear from light group, I don't see them in fellowship, and I go, man, what's going on? You see them and they go, oh, I haven't been in church. You know, you go, how you, how you doing? Oh, I haven't been in church in a couple months, man. I go, wait a minute, I, I didn't ask you, why haven't you been to church? I said, no, we already know something's going on, right? Because that condemnation drives you away from, from repentance. It drives you away from that. But the Holy Spirit will convict you and bring correction and bring us back into fellowship with God and back in a relationship with one another. See, Satan wants to drive you away. God's Spirit wants to drive you into forgiveness. That's the difference. And so, hey, amen. And so how do you know the difference? Well, depends which direction are you headed in? I can tell you if it's condemnation or conviction, which way are you going? Corey Ten Boom, the great evangelist who was a, uh, I think she was in Auschwitz, a, a concentration camp survivor and a worldwide evangelist, little old Dutch lady going to prisons, talking to the hardest of the hardest of people. She said, the Lord cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness and posts a no fishing sign. Some of us need to stop fishing where God has said, would you please let that go? Stop it. Jesus told the woman, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. Then he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. 
Three keys to victory over Satan. Watch this. Verse 11 says, They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. Number one, the blood overcomes Satan's accusations. The blood of Christ overcomes Satan's accusations. Um, They mean nothing against us because Jesus has already paid the price that our sins deserve. You know what? Actually, our sins may even be worse than what Satan says. (laughs) You know, they, they might be. And so he accuses us, but we're still made righteous by the work of Jesus on the cross. We're made righteous. And so his accusations have no effect on us. Now, here's something that I got, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, 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 Pastor David Guzik said this. He said, although it is important to say that we should not regard the blood of Jesus, uh, uh, it is important to say that we should not regard the blood of Jesus in a superstitious manner. It's not a magical potion, nor is it the literal blood of Jesus literally applied that saves or cleanses us. If that were so, then his Roman executioners splattered with his blood would have been automatically saved. And the actual number of molecules of Jesus' literal blood would limit the number of people who could be saved. So the blood speaks to us of the real physical death of Jesus Christ in our place, on our behalf, before God. The literal death in our place and the literal judgment he bore on our behalf is what saves us. I think that, that's, that's good. That's good. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, nor give him up, uh, uh, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen for chosen? Uh, for, his, uh, for his own, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us in intercession. So Satan comes and accuses. Jesus sits on the throne and he intercedes on our behalf. Satan says, well, that person's this, that person's that. God goes, yeah, I know, it's actually a lot worse than that, but go ahead, <laughs> you know, you know, and, uh, and, and, and he accuses, accuses, and, and, and then Jesus says, yeah, but they're covered with my blood, their sins are forgiven, so what happens to the accusation? It falls to the ground. Boy, I wish we could look at it that way all the time, right? Secondly, the word of their testimony overcomes Satan's accusations. First of all, the blood of the Lamb overcomes Satan's accusations. Then the word of their testimony uh, overcomes Satan's accusations. You know, uh, when someone experiences the love of God and the grace of God, their sins are forgiven. And, you know, you maybe remember what that time was like when you had the revelation of who Jesus was. You went, wow, man, there's this lightness. And, you know, maybe you cried, maybe you wept, maybe you didn't. But you had an intellectual and a heart understanding that you were right with God. And it didn't matter what you did from that point on, that God loved you and you were now his son or his daughter, you were a child of God, and you just want to tell everyone about that. And your testimony is a powerful thing, especially with people who know you. And they say, man, what happened to you? And you go, oh, man, let me tell you. And they go, wait a minute, we know you. We know your character. We know how you were like a month ago. We know how you were. You've always been this way. Now you're what? See, that's, there's power in that, especially for those who know you. They know who you used to be. 
Uh, but you're, when you share your testimony, you're encroaching on Satan's territory. He really doesn't like it, but every time you tell your testimony, it reinforces what God has done and challenges others to consider Jesus. And people, it's true because it's your story. Nobody can tell you, oh, you know what? Well, God's not real. You go, he's real in my life. Well, you know what? He's not real. You go, hey, listen, man, you can say whatever you want, but I know what God did for me. Okay, I'm not making it up. I didn't read it in a book. I can tell it today, tomorrow, a week from now because Jesus has changed my life. That's my testimony. And you can't take that from me because it happened to me. Now, if it hasn't happened to you, that's between you and God, but it has happened. That's my story, man. You can't, and there's power in that. You know, I think some of us who have been Christians for a while, we need to brush off our old testimony. We need to be a little more willing to say what we once were like and how we encountered Christ and how that has changed our life. That's an easy story because it's your story. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell in England, currency was pretty hard to find, so the he ordered the troops around the British Empire to find as much silver as they could to mint coins. They came back and said, we've searched the entire empire to find silver. We found none anywhere except where the statutes of the saints are made out of choice silver in the cathedrals of the country. And he answered and said, Whether, uh, he, he answered and said well, take that silver, you know what, and melt it down. It's time to... to, to uh, utilize that in a greater capacity. And that's what we need to do with our testimonies. How about the man who was blind and he had a testimony, right? This is what he said in John chapter 9, verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that I was blind, now I see. And the religious leaders are hammering him like, what is wrong? You know what? You can't be. Who healed you? He's a, you know, they're asking him all these theological questions. Say, hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. I don't know about all that. <laughs> I don't know if he said it like that. He said, I, I don't know about all that. Whether he's a sinner or Jesus, you can call him whatever you want him to call him. All I know is I was blind, now I see. Now can I go? <laughs> I got some things to see. <laughs> I'm tired of looking at you. <laughs> Thought you were taller than that. Anyway. Oh, my. Thirdly, they overcame because they did not love their lives even to death. Tuesday is Veterans Day. Those men and women sign up. They don't love their life unto death. They do love their life unto death. They're willing to sacrifice their life. You know, the two times that my dad went to Vietnam, I was young. First time, probably, let's see, we lived in Clarksville, Tennessee. I was probably in the fourth grade. Military families, you get this, especially during wartime, when a loved one's leaving. But as a child, you know, my dad had some real quick, not a lot, he didn't say a whole lot, real quick conversation about not coming back. And because there was no <laughs> news and satellite television, and, I, I, and I'm only in the fourth grade, I didn't really 
I didn't really get that he might not come back. I mean, I was kind of like, of course you're coming back. Like, why wouldn't you come back? I mean, I didn't get it, right? But the reality was, he might not have come back. The reality was, he was going to fight and was willing to die for the cause. That was the reality. Veterans, you get that. Those of you that have been to war, you really get that. Right? And so in Christianity, it says they overcame because they did not love their lives even to death. These tribulation saints were willing to die. And because of that, they overcame. What threat is there if we can't be swayed by the fear of death? How can you threaten me if I don't care if I die, if I'm willing, rather, I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ. How can you threaten me? Because when I die, it's a promotion. <laughs> and the greatest you could do for Christ is lay down your life for him. That's the, great, that's the, that's the greatest thing you could do. And if I'm not afraid of death, you really can't steer me away from my mission, right? Maybe like Philippians 1.21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. They did not love their lives even to death. Love, the Greek word there is agape, a sacrificial love. Like these end-time saints, we too must choose whether we will uh, love our lives unto death. Ultimately, I think that's the ability to overcome fear. Because if I'm willing to die for Christ, literally, and may I never be tested in that, by the way, <laughs> but if I'm willing to die for Christ, then I'm really not afraid of anything else, am I? What can man do to me? If the fear of the Lord is greater than the fear of man, then, whew, powerful testimony. Let's wrap it up, verse 13 through 16. Wait a minute. Yeah, verse 13 through 16. It says this. It says, Now, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. If you've been with us, the woman is the nation of Israel, and the child is Jesus. Satan is not happy. He is cast out of heaven. This is, this is his last-ditch effort. This is the end for him. And the two great wings of a great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to sweep away, to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river that the dragon poured out out of his mouth. The dragon was enraged with the woman Israel and went out to make war with the rest of her offspring. Okay, but other, belie other believing uh, Gentiles, maybe even believing uh, Israelites, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, Satan is waging all out war against the people of God, Israel in particular. He is, um, uh, this is his last ditch effort. 
And it says that Israel is somehow supernaturally protected. Now, I want to read this to you real quick. And this is from Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. It says this regarding that protection, because there are some biblical scholars that believe that Petra or Petra is the place where uh, they will be delivered to. It's this vast city amongst these canyons that are very, very difficult to get to. And it says, if that is in fact the place, because the Bible doesn't tell us that's where it is, but it would make sense that it is. And this is what they say. Many years ago, the noted Bible scholar W.E. Blackstone, on the basis of these verses, hid thousands of copies of the New Testament in and around the the caves and rocks of Petra. He felt that someday the terrified survivors of the Antichrist bloodbath will welcome the opportunity to read God's word. On October the 14th, 1974, Wilmington says, I had the opportunity to visit Petra. Before leaving America, my students were asked to sign their names along with their favorite scripture verse in the front pages of a large Bible. I then included the following letter. Attention to all of Hebrew background. This Bible has been placed here on October the 14th, 1974 by the students and dean of the Thomas Road Bible Institute in Lynchburg, Virginia, USA. We respectively, respectively urge its finder to prayerfully and publicly read the following Bible chapters. They are Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 11, Matthew chapter 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, and Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13. When, uh, we then wrapped the Bible in heavy plastic and placed it in one of the remote caves along the thousands of Petra. Petra has been called the Rainbow City and once had 267,000 inhabitants. It was a large market center at the junction of a great cavern, uh, cavern route. The city is inaccessible except through the gorge or canyon in the mountains, which is wide enough for only two horses abreast. The perpendicular walls of the gorge are from 400 to 700 feet high and are brilliant in splendor, displaying every color of the rainbow. The old buildings cut from the solid rock of the mountain still stand. A clear spring bubbles over red, uh, rose-red rocks. Wild figs grow on the banks. Everything awaits Israel. Maybe. Interesting. Interesting to think about. So the nation of Israel is protected when the serpent and his demons are thrown down uh, on earth and it is absolutely hell on earth. Let me conclude with a few things. Satan has and is waging war against God and against the people of God. Satan has access to the throne of God and for all we know, he may split his time between heaven and earth. He may spend as much as half of his time in heaven accusing you and I. Certainly he is on earth because scripture says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan has access to the throne of God and he, he, he loves to tell on us, to accuse us before God. And you know what I thought about is that when Satan accuses us before God, he's actually telling the truth. <laughs> you, there's one time he doesn't lie when he goes before the throne, and can you see what Pastor Richie just did? Are you kidding me? And he's probably telling the truth. In fact, it's probably worse because he doesn't know my heart behind it, and God knows my heart. God may say, yeah, (laughs) that was bad. (laughs) You don't know the half of it, dude. (laughs) No no disrespect that God would say dude, but I'm just saying. I I don't mean, you know what I'm saying? Don't want to. Right? 
One day he will attempt to storm the gates of heaven, but will be thrown to earth in defeat, he and his angels. Satan's a liar. Okay? Remember that. Let that ring in your head all week long. Also, he's a defeated enemy, but he's taking as many people as possible with him because he knows now his time is short. He knows now in Revelation 12 his time is really short, and he wants to take as many with him as he possibly can. But you know what? We overcome him how? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives more than dying. That's how we overcome him. May we be those kind of overcomers. We want to take our offering this morning, and if I, the ushers would come forth and uh, give you that opportunity to give. Um, <clears throat> thank you for your, um, your diligence in doing that. I'll pray as they are making their way up. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, God, that you have given us your word, and your word is true. And we read your word, God, and we like, yep, that is true. That is true. What you said is right. We know that because, Lord, because you are, are true. Jesus, you said that you were truth. Interesting. You said you were truth and that the devil is a liar, and that's true. We believe it. God, thank you for your word. May it speak to our hearts and cause us to look more like you. And, Lord, may we brush off our testimony and may we be a people who care enough about others to tell the truth father for this offering that we give to you this morning that you would take it and multiply it for the furtherance of your kingdom lord it is a joy to give to you lord you know what our needs are you know what they are you know what we need lord um, and so we we do pray god that you would make provision for us and i thank you for those who give this morning i thank you for the family of christ because that's what we strive to become a true family we're not a perfect family, but we're striving to love one another and to uh, prefer one another in, in honor, as, as your word says. And so, Lord, take this, these offerings, multiply them for the furtherance of your kingdom and for your glory, for your great name to be spread throughout the world. In Jesus' name, And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. Go ahead and pass the bags, guys. And um, again, thank you for your time. Um, if you need prayer for anything at all or you'd like to know a little bit more about what it means,